Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Schmozone podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Sheath Underwear, the only pair of underwear the Schmo wears. They are so comfortable. The anatomical isolation pouch for male extremities. Never wear normal underwear after wearing these. That pouch keeps the balls nice and fresh. Check them out at sheathunderwear.com. The promo code SCHMO. Get 30% off. You will not be disappointed. And our other sponsor for today's podcast is Jocko Fuel. Origin Labs, baby. OriginMain.com. I love using Jocko Discipline Go. Much better alternative than your normal energy drinks, natural stuff going in there. And I love their protein. Their whey protein's great. I love their pre-workout and they got great stuff. Clean supplements. Check them out. 15% off using the promo code SHMO, O-R-I-G-I-N-M-A-I-N-E.com, originmain.com, promo code SHMO, 15% off. Good, clean products. Let's start the show. Welcome back to the Schmo Zone, episode 43. I'm Dave Schmolenson, a.k.a. the Schmo. My co-host is... Helene Sports. Keep your eyes on the game. And yes, they are on the game. Loaded show today. Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to have Coach Mark Montoya and Alex Hernandez in studio. We're going to kick it to Dr. Ronald Cohen here shortly. And the reason why we're going to kick it to Dr. Ronald Cohen is because we had Cub Swanson on last week, and he had reconstructive surgery on his knee. The schmo, myself, Dave, I've had uh, meniscus tears in both my knees, and uh, I didn't go to the route of surgery. I had PRP treatment, platelet-rich plasma, uh, just an alternative to going under the knife, and I know it's not for every situation, but just wanted to get uh, Dr. Cohen's thoughts, so I know he's going to be here shortly. So it'll be pretty cool. I know. And you know what? It looks like we're getting a call right now. Oh, he's, he's early. Yeah. All right. So now I'm going to introduce our guest, Dr. Ronald Cohen, the man who fixed both of the schmoes, I guess mine, uh, meniscus tears. Dr. Cohen, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Of course. Of course. Look, it's no secret. Um, I try, or the schmo tries, to live an active lifestyle. I work with athletes, MMA fighters that are bound to have injuries. On our last episode, we have uh, UFC veteran Cub Swanson, 37 years of age, coming off of an ACL tear and a torn meniscus. Let's start off with this. 
I know you work with stem cell treatment and PRP treatment, among other things. How do you know whether to go through that route rather than opening up your knee and doing a whole reconstructive surgery? You know, that's a great question. And it's one of the uh, issues that we deal with whenever we have, uh, you know, anybody with an injury, but especially an elite athlete, because return to play is really one of the biggest things um, that they're concerned about. Um, there are criteria that we look for with ACL tears. Um, I don't want to get too technical with this, but, you know, we examine the patient, we look at the MRI. If we see any intact fibers, um, we feel that we have a pretty good chance of actually repairing that with a percutaneous, meaning non-surgical approach, um, uh, and really try to avoid an open surgery, which, uh, you know, has its own complications and has a really long uh, rehab rate. You know, these are elite athletes. They want to get back into the game. They don't want to have to go through a year of, of, of rehab before they even get back in the ring. So, um, you know, we take all of this into consideration. We can also do uh, what we call a diagnostic injection, where we use uh, fluoroscopy, which is like real-time x-ray. Uh, we can inject a little bit of contrast dye literally into the ACL, and we can see if that contrast uh, leaks out uh, or if it stays contained within the, uh, the ACL itself, showing us that maybe it's just a partial tear. Um, now, if it's a complete tear, and the two ends of the tear are completely pulled apart like an elastic rubber band, that's beyond what we can offer uh, help with, and we would refer that to the orthopedic surgeon. Um, we also have to take into consideration that there are frequently meniscus tears that um, uh, coincide with ACL tears. And typically a surgeon is gonna go in and shave those and remove tissue. Whereas with a regenerative procedure, our goal is to preserve the tissue and to facilitate tissue healing. Now, specific to ACL injuries, the fact that somebody had a trauma that was severe enough to ding the cartilage and or, or, that was strong enough to tear the ACL, it was also strong enough to ding the cartilage and begin the process of developing osteoarthritis. And we can go in and we can actually offer protective measures that can help a patient um, stave off the development of arthritis for years uh, to come. So when I first found out about PRP treatment, stem cell treatment, I remember I was in high school. I remember like Kobe Bryant, Brian Erlacher going overseas, going to Europe and, and getting you know, their blood platelets and getting it spun and being injected back into their bodies. And then I think relatively uh, in recent history, in the past decade or so, it's come over here to the United States. So walk us through like this is a legal procedure where you are taking out the platelets, your blood platelets out of your body. Um, you're drawing your blood. You, you spin it in a machine and then you inject it back into you and then it heals over time. That's pretty much the gist of it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's well known, well documented that our own blood, our own um, tissues contain cells that are very rich in in healing factors. Um, if you think about a normal injury, you know, you roll your ankle, you uh, you know, you get punched and you get a bruise or a cut. You know, you don't go to the doctor for every single injury. Your body actually heals itself. 
right? Well, how does it do that? It rushes blood to the area and it delivers these, these um, growth factors and healing factors directly to the area in need. So that's essentially what we are doing. We're taking your own growth factors and we're harvesting them from your blood or from your bone marrow. We're concentrating them and then we are very precisely placing them in an area of need and asking them to do what they would naturally do. And that's really, in essence, what it's all about. With PRP, which is platelet-rich plasma, we're using the power of the blood cell called a platelet, which has something called platelet-derived growth factor within it. And we deliver it right to the area of need, and it releases those growth factors, and it, and it stimulates the healing cascade. Uh, similarly, uh, in a condition that might be a little bit more severe, like a larger rotator cuff tear or really severe arthritis, we may jump to the added power of a stem cell, which is essentially a, an immature cell that has the power to grow up and differentiate and turn into the type of cell that your body needs, all the while acting as a little general contractor inside the cell, directing all the other cells what to do and what to become and how to facilitate tissue healing. Well, you definitely helped me out a lot. I remember <laughs> when I tore those up, um, I, we did a couple of rounds of injections. I know it took at least six weeks before the first injection, the second injection. I, I'm an active triathlete. I remember I got to do some work with Manny Pacquiao afterwards. And Dr. Cohen, you really helped me out. Uh, where can our audience find you? Tell us where we can find you and book an appointment if they need some help. My office is in San Diego. Um, we can be reached at coastalregenerative.com or you can call us at 858-345-1055. Excellent. And uh, before I let you go, one last thing. Um, look, um, I want to get your thoughts on CBD and, and using CBD as a recovery uh, method. Yeah, um, you know... I think there's a, a, a lot to be said and a lot of good things to be said um, about CBD um, to the point where I've started carrying it in my clinic and, and offering it to patients. Um, we're, we're still learning kind of how and why it works, um, but what's really important is that it does seem to work and there don't seem to be any adverse effects that are uh, associated with it. Um, you know, for a lot of our procedures, uh, things like anti-inflammatory medications like Motrin or Naproxen, um, they can really interfere with the effectiveness of a treatment. So we, we don't want patients using those. Um, and if we have an alternative that's effective and doesn't interfere, well, that's a plus all the way around. Um, there are a lot of preparations out there. Um, I think the biggest obstacle right now is trying to figure out, because uh, there really is no regulation for the stuff yet, trying to figure out if the product that you're using really has gone through the proper testing and has the concentration that they claim and that you really are getting what you paid for. Excellent. And I'm sure uh, that will evolve over time. Dr. <laughs> Cohen? We really appreciate your time, and thanks for stopping to the Schmo Zone. And uh, hopefully these knees uh, stay pretty clean for the time being, or I guess I'll have to play another visit, pay another visit.
we're happy to see you anytime. Thank you so much. Have a great Thank day, you. Dr. Cohen. Take Thank care. you. Bye-bye. All right. In studio today, we have Factory X's finest, Coach Mark Montoya, and the great Alex Hernandez, UFC lightweight. What's up, doggy? Good to see good you to guys. See, it's good to see you out of character, honestly. <laughs> it's a first for me. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, he's lovely. Like we just joked, you know, it's kind of like that that uh, neglected stepchild. That never, gets, <laughs> never, gets, never gets enough screen time, but he's out here today. He's out to play. The one day a week where I feel like I could just be myself, right? That's right. That's right. Can breathe a little, a little bit. Dave Sean, yeah. I appreciate you guys coming here in studio. Are you getting a little uh, cabin fever over at the uh, host hotel? That we were. I mean, that's why that's why we had to break these guys out. We got Coach here and uh, Professor Busy in the back who didn't get a chair, but he's out here. We just needed to, yeah, needed to get a break away from the, the residents in. Professor gets the behind-the-scenes look. We didn't have enough mics. I'm sorry. You're the odd man out. <laughs> he's a ninja, though. If he's you a ninja. That's what he does. He hides in the background. He's always in the shadows. Yeah, he's that's, a ninja. That's true. That hey, true. Shmuel, I'm, I'm proud of you guys. The last time I did an interview with you was on the couch in the uh, middle of a hotel, you know? Like, we picked the hallway. Now look, we got the schmo zone. It's a schmo zone, yeah. I mean, this is this is gangster, bro. I'm, I'm really proud of you guys. We've, we've come a long way from the uh, Minneapolis hotel. I remember that. Oh, was that like where it was? It was in Minnesota. I remember it was the Francis Ngannou JDS card, the USA okay. fight night. That, okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we did it on the couch. It's always comfortable doing interviews on, on the, the couch. couch. Yeah, it's easy. Gotcha. We just yeah. had to move a few pillows. Uh, Alex, don't. It's okay. Don't be jealous. It's yeah, very intimate. Yeah, well, very very intimate. But yeah. this is my first. Uh, it's my first studio. First studio. Uh, kind of, yeah, I think I did a local one maybe back in San Antonio before, but I, you know, never a never a zone for sure. I've never felt so in the zone. So this is this well, is new. Well, you're definitely in the zone for your last fight. I know uh, you joined the Factory X, uh, Coach Mark Montoya. Yeah. You switched training camps, and uh, look, man, one and zero in the new digs. Yeah, two point version paid out. So uh, yeah, like we were saying, that went really well, and we're happy with it. And uh, we were just talking today actually on some corrections we need to make for the next one, but. Yeah, there's definitely the, the right momentum, and it took a little bit to get the ingredients right, but now I think we've got the recipe. We want to keep it running, you know. Are you going to break the news, Helen, or am I going to break the news? About who sat in that chair before? Yeah, a few weeks ago. Called called this guy out. I'm not sure if you saw yeah, it. Yeah, literally. In that exact chair, Brad Riddell. Oh, yeah. I've got a, <laughs> I've got a, uh, a docket <laughs> full of call-outs <laughs> call right I'm now. I'm sure he's so. one of many. Yeah, so he's, uh, he, he's certainly in the queue. He definitely called you out, man. He, uh, what do you think of that matchup? Obviously, it might not be next, but it's something that you could see down the road. Yeah, yeah. L like I said, there, there's um, there's a number of guys. Definitely, always. I mean, really, since the beginning, they've always been calling me out, and um, I've never like paid too much mind to anyone else's concern because they're always working, you know, their strategy for, you know, their future, whatever. And and I'm kind of trying to organize myself, but I I, I really like that. I like that matchup a lot. Like, I like any matchup. I mean, I've never said no to anything in my life. And um, Brad's great. You know, he fought uh, he fought Silva on that card when we were uh, that was the Abu Dhabi card. Yeah, with Brandon. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, he looked like a dog, if nothing else. You know, he had sh showed a lot of fight in him. And yeah, put him in the mix. <laughs> I mean, what's I, new, right? I mean, yeah, it, I mean, when you're doing well, every, everyone's calling you out. They yeah, want they course. want an opportunity to yeah. do better. So. so. That doesn't surprise me that he called, I mean, everyone's calling him out. Well, out of everyone that's been calling you out, who intrigues you the most? Brad's certainly one of them. Yeah. Um, 
You know, tr- truthfully, it's really just about timing and who's available. I haven't gotten any offers from Shelby or anything serious. A lot of people like start buying into whatever they see on social media and think that that's like what's actually being passed <laughs> across like the table. It's not. And so, uh, you know, I've just been organizing with my team and waiting for a response from Jason House on Shelby and seeing like what the real options are, like who's, who's actually available, who can actually fight, who's not just talking, but readily able to take a fight. And ideally in December, like, you know, I've been really looking at this December 19th card. So I, I'm really, yeah, just really open-minded. Just, it's about timing and an organization of, of what we want to get done in the next year. So, uh, yeah, whoever. It seems like with, with COVID going on, there's fights that are falling out every day, yeah. all the time. I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's insane. So. I'm sure Jason, I think he brought it up too. I mean, he's always on the phone with Sean Shelby. They need replacements all the time. Like, And Coach, you can weigh on this too. It's like, uh, does it intrigue you at all uh, for just stepping up last minute for a replacement fight? Or does it depend on matchup? Or is there something specifically you guys are working on right now and uh, leading into this guy's second fight with you guys? Well, I think with the whole thing with COVID and the coronavirus, the whole thing, the the biggest thing that we had to do is make an adjustment. I mean, we made an adjustment to where you're not getting eight, 10, 12 weeks camp. That's it. You can't, we're not in camp. We got to, we got to just stay ready because essentially UFC gave us opportunities to jump on and none of them had a long duration. I mean, there's, I've only had a few fights since May, since they went back to work meaning the UFC, where we had more than a few weeks to get prepared technically. So, you know, we, as a coaching staff, we got together and talked about that and said, hey, in order for our us to take advantage of this opportunity, we got to change how we're doing things. And then we also have to mentally speak to our fighters and our team about where they're at mentally. You're not getting camp-type fights. You're getting opportunity when opportunity comes up and you have to be stay locked in and ready and so diet training pt all the stuff that they would typically really focus hard on inside of a camp they've got to do consistently and it's hard to do that because mentally you start to you can potentially fatigue out and and so it's a fine balance but our team has done an amazing job this year and and we're having a phenomenal year because of them adopting or excuse me adapting to that and us adopting the philosophy of we got to change something here yeah and, and like to coach's credit too you know like i've always been known as somebody who's um like kind of perpetually in a camp mode you know i'm always on point with my diet and the training regimen doesn't ever really change and i've always carried that attitude um lonesomely back home often and then when I came over to Factory X, it was like, that, that's the culture of the way we operate. And, and he's got an expectation of everybody living in Denver and all kind of operating under that same cloak where, you know, we're always, we're always fight ready and we're always almost in camp. And, and there's, there's certainly like tiering and, and, um, and like peak management and things like that for a fight. But, you know, you walk into that room and you've got like, I've got handfuls of guys all around my weight with the same drive, the same ambition, the same goal in mind where it's like, yeah, we're ready to fight on two weeks notice, three weeks notice. And I don't really see any other gym that puts people up like that on two weeks, three weeks notice and catches bodies like so readily as we do. Like we, we get a ton of victories off of short notice fights all day because of the culture and, and the attitude we share as, as a group, as a team. So uh, it's a good place to be for the climate for sure. Like I, I really don't know a better place to be the factory X for the climate of, of what we're facing right now with COVID. Now coach, uh, in Fight Island, when we spoke with Alex, he spoke very highly of just the gym, the culture. Obviously, you as a great coach. So what's it been like to work with Alex and leading into that 
first round knockout performance of the night. Yeah, I've had I've had the opportunity to you know get many athletes that have come in for the first time and and train with us, but something that was different about Alex is I mean, I watch fighting consistently not just my guys i watch i watch it all whether it's on the regional scene the local scene or of course you know in the ufc level but i've been watching alex for a while fight i mean from from his lfa days obviously into the ufc and uh he's he always seemed like a he was cut from the same cloth type kid and i didn't know that for a fact because i'd never met him but anytime i talked to jason house uh, you know because he manages him uh, Jason's like, yeah, you'd love that kid. If, and I said, well, if there's ever an opportunity to, to you know, train him, I, I would love that opportunity. And so when that came about after his his fight after Dober, um, we started talking. And and then he, he actually, I encouraged him to go to other gyms too. I, I didn't say, hey, just come here. I wanted him to go see what else was out there and, and decide what the best fit was for him, even if it wasn't us. Because... Uh, he's a special athlete, and he's he's somebody that we really enjoy working with. And once we got him in the room, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is this is my type of kid." So, and uh, and he went from Denver to actually Arizona and checked out some stuff there, and and uh, liked all those guys there. It's just you know, timing and fit is is the most important thing when you have any type of relationship. And in, in our coaching staff and our team, it just seemed to fit him the best for what we're doing. And, you know, leading up to that, it's always a little bit nerve-wracking when you go into that first fight with somebody new on both ends. Because, you know, his expectation is, man, I want to change and be better. Our expectation is, we're going to help you change and be better. And and it's gone both ways for me before. And But for the most part, uh, we've had a lot of success doing that. And to watch him transform, I was just telling him today, actually, I said, I respect him a ton for what he did inside of the four months of our preparation. Um, he, he's learning a new system, still is, but uh, he's got it down way better than he did four months ago. And sure. to learn a new system, though, you got to be really humble because you're going to get your ass kicked inside of the training room by guys that probably shouldn't be kicking your ass that day. Uh, but you're trying to learn new things and expand his game. And when he, when I saw him doing that, you know, I talked to Jason a lot about Alex because we kept tabs about it. When I saw him do that, I gained a lot of respect for him because that's not easy to do, especially when you're at the level he's already at before he ever came to us. And to take a step back and say, okay, I'm going to decide to grow here and I'm going to take my lumps in doing so. And, and there were lumps. Yeah, there, a lot. There, there were lumps. And there were some frustrating days for sure, and I'd watch him. Lumps. But I'll tell you what, what really sets him apart from a lot of people is I would say to him, hey, man, how are we doing? He, st- he would say to me after practice, even if, even if he did well or didn't. But even on the, when the, the most important thing is the days he didn't do well, he would say, I'm still the baddest motherfucker around. And I was like, okay, yeah. sweet. Now, <laughs> I, I got the kid that I, that I thought I had, and I definitely now I know he's that kid. And so myself and the coaching staff and the team, we were ecstatic when we saw that. And so it's been such a pleasure. And then to watch him go in into the fight uh, and, and just say, okay, coach, I'm going to submit to you 
in the sense of your your system and process, put all the weight on my shoulders, which I love. Like, let's go, and then and then help him help him navigate some of those waters, and then watch him perform like he did in his fight it was amazing. So, uh, all that credit goes to him. But uh, entrusting all of that, it's uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun so far. Yeah, that's the one thing that I wanted our audience to see, and why I'm glad you're on the podcast too. And of course. Uh, the good-looking Coach Mark Montoya himself. You but, say uh, that because of my hair? Uh, lack thereof, but Whoa. you still look good. Still <laughs> you still look good. But, uh, transporter. You know, a couple uh, years ago, you diesel. had the big fight with Donald Cerrone, mm-hmm. and then you know every time we've done our interviews, all the fans are ripping on you. I get more yeah. dislikes for your interviews than anyone else because, look, you came in yeah, there, you're you young. Tell me that? You told me that one time before <laughs> I was about to start an interview with you. I'm like, bro, <laughs> you just spit in my coffee right before you served me. <laughs> but the thing is, I love it, though, because you're young, you're hungry, you're confident, you want to make a mark in the sport. What people don't realize about you is you're like a sponge man you want to learn you want to get better you're a confident person you need confidence you're not going to walk yeah. into the octagon and and have the ambitions and the goals that you do without having that type of confidence but there's going to be growing pains no matter what but it doesn't matter you stick to the game plan you stick and you go through the mud through the cement and, and you come out on top man and that's what it's all about you're going to face adversity and that's what yeah. i want the audience to see is that you're willing to endure to reach your goals yeah i i appreciate that big time and and like you said like a lot of it was um it wasn't a facade at any point in my career. Like I've always been very transparent with just <laughs> what I'm thinking and how, and how I feel, uh, you know, I'll execute. But like before I had such uh, a confidence and it may be like an ignorant one at that, you know, um, a lot of hubris and, and maybe an ignorant confidence. And it wasn't until kind of really facing that turbulence and the adversity and then making this giant move and, uh, and then weathering the storms there at the gym and then having to grow and adapt that like, it went from a confidence to, to like a cultivated clarity, like it shifted from confidence to clarity. And that, that clarity brought so much more peace of mind, like such, such an even temper where I didn't feel like I had to be this big, like, um, boisterous ego or anything. It was like, man, I can smile at you and then still just like beat your ass. And that, that's like a way cooler place to come from because, um, you're just at, you're like at peace, man. And that, that's kind of, that's kind of getting that flow state that I was trying to get, you know, coach will talk about like flipping the switch before we go out to fight. And, and for me, like, I don't really need to flip a switch up because I'm already, <laughs> I'm already so intense. Like I'll fucking redlining any, any given second, you know, white knuckle the, the steering wheel on the way to practice. And so like, for me, it wasn't about taking it so seriously because I already take it too seriously. So for me, it was like, man, just learn how to have fun. Like be a little nice to yourself because uh, as much shit as I talk out loud, the voice in my head's way more negative. The criticism I give myself is, is so severe. And so, like, I just had to learn to start being a little nice. Like, man, give yourself a compliment every now and again and, and just have some fun. And, and I realized, like, um, and this was kind of a switch that we made after going to Abu Dhabi together and just training one-on-one and, and having that time alone. And, and then, uh, you know, just some other good mentors I had in my corner and even, even my girlfriend. And, and like, I, I realized I came back and I, I need to stop taking it so seriously. And before where I was listening to, like, like either just some gangster ass rap shit or just like something heavy on the way to practice or before sparring. Like I found myself like having a little bit more fun with like some Fleetwood Mac or like some, you know, some like, you came um, out to that for the last I know, we that was great. Yeah. Yeah. Some Nugent or something, you know, like I started having, having more fun. I'm, I'm in the kitchen. I'm cooking French toast and shaking my <laughs> hips and having a good time. And I'm like, dude, this is a way cooler fucking vibe. And then I go to the gym and I'm still joking with everybody, busting people's balls, having like a good time. And then it's like, Oh, now it's time to go, uh, fuck some shit up. Let's go do that. And let's just go treat it like that all the time. Like, let's kind of keep this perpetual flow state where you can, um, 
explode when you need to explode, recover when you need to recover, and just kind of maintain a good energy about you and, and, and a good fighting cadence. And so uh, once I was able to flip that switch, um, everything just became a little brighter. Like everything kind of just seemed more um, obtainable and uh, just kind of gave me a new, I guess, like um, a new drive, really, you know, a new perspective. So that, that was... That was monumental, you know. So hopefully you'll see more positive likes and comments. I think so. I think we might, we might turn the session <laughs> up, but also if not, like I don't really give a shit either. <laughs> you know, it's the funniest thing in the world that used to bother me a lot. And now I'm just kind of like, I don't even give a fuck. Like we're, we're sitting with, uh, with Elisa, Jason's wife, my manager. And she's like, yeah, because everyone who doesn't know you thinks you're an asshole. And I was like, That's, <laughs> that used to bother me that everyone just thought I was a, like a, just a piece of shit. But now it's like good, good. Like, I'll be an asshole. But I don't care. Like, why, why do you, you think that they misunderstand you? Just your confidence? or Yeah, I mean, really, like you said, like the, this, ever since the Cerrone press or me just going at him, I, I was really just trying to, like, uh, just break him. And I was. I, I was doing good at it. And, uh, and if I could go back, the only thing I'd do different is win. So, I, I mean, you know, it's probably just that, uh, that attitude and people just misinterpreting it. But people just get, like, a little snippet and they build their own narrative off it. And, and that's that's fine because I'm working on, you know, my narrative. And like you said, I, I really like the story I'm on. I like the path I'm on where it's like, you know, I thought I was going to come in and blow out that that big opportunity. And I was, like, in a really low place when I didn't because I, I was so certain that that had to happen for me. And it didn't. And so we hit a low. And then we came back. We got a high on Trinaldo. Hit a low against Dober because we thought we had something figured out that we didn't. And so then I had made this huge, like, life-changing adjustment. Got to meet these incredible people. And and now it's like uh, the opportunities to to engage with, like, Mark and Busy and, like, all, all these coaches. Brandon, you know, all, all these, like, close-knit friends and mentors and, like, allies I would never had before. All the growth that I experienced. It just would never happen if you didn't hit those lows. You know, the whole idea of breaking down before you break through. And then weathering that adversity and coming back stronger than ever, like that's the story I want. And 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 now we're on that path. And and I feel like you know, like I said after that fight, like I, I feel like I just made my debut. You know, like we've just only arrived, and we just need to keep going. You know. Yeah, people think that success is this linear pathway, but it's just full of peaks and valleys, yeah. peaks and valleys, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, and then once, like once you let ego go, those losses really become lessons. You know, you can really learn from from what you've undergone as opposed to making excuses for it or keeping like, the whole idea of like having a chip on your shoulder. Like that's almost like, like a victimizing approach. You know, like I've got chips on my shoulders. Well, that's, that's like holding a negative outlook. Like, woe is me almost. Whereas like, well, fuck the chips. Like you hold your opinion. I'm not going to be affected by that opinion. You know, I'm just going to kind of stay in my state of mind and, and get done what I need to get done. And, and then at the end of the story, you'll be like, Oh, okay. Well, I see where he's coming from now, you know, but yeah, that's fine. And to add, uh, to Donald Cerrone, he did say yesterday, I think, to media that he has one last run in him back at 155. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. People always ask me, like, uh, you want to run that back? And and may maybe I do. Like, I, I felt like I needed to uh, I needed to earn it back, you know, and I hadn't, I hadn't done that consistently. Uh, and then also, like, it stopped being almost, like, even entertaining to me, like, where I I didn't really care to run anything back. I just wanted to like run forward. Like I just wanted to run forward as hard as I could. And, and so like, yeah, if he's what's, if he's what's forward, then like it's awesome. If Dober's what's forward, awesome. If not, I don't really have any like need for some kind of vengeance or anything. Like I, I don't, that was just, it was literally like, th thank, thanks for that chapter and thanks for that education. And if we get to do it again, like I'll, I'll do it better this time. But um, I'm not, I'm not like holding that over me because that would, that would be slowing everything else down if I did.
And uh, Coach, I want to get to you now. Um, you've been super busy during this pandemic. Vistar, uh, Rena from Jacksonville during those fights. Obviously, Abu Dhabi here at the UFC. These fight nights, the Apex, the pay-per-views. How is it different coaching in this COVID environment without the crowds versus having those loud crowds? Like, do you is it noticeable that the communication with the fighters is better, worse, the same? Do you even notice it all? Are you numb to it? No, I think I think it's for sure easier. It, there's there's no sound in there. I mean, yeah. it's it's like pin drop quiet, and so the the communication is is good. Uh, I'm glad that we had the foresight years ago as a coaching staff to put our own language together uh, when it comes to when it comes to fighting. Uh, we've been doing that my entire career, so that's not something that's new. Um, but all of our, all of our coaches and athletes are on the same page when it comes to our language for for everything we're doing in fighting. So that helps because it is quiet in there. And I remember at the beginning being able to really hear the other corner well. I could even hear the announcers before they put the glass up between them and the cage. And so, you know, the the communication is absolutely easier. the The thing that is a little strange at first for everyone involved is that walkout. And so yeah. uh, one of the things I've noticed in, in fighting is, and just managing fighters' expectations is if we went on a, a, on a hike, I took you on a hike, and I was like, yo, we're going up to that mountain. There's a lot of different mountains between now and the top of the mountain. But if I explain to you, hey, at mile two, we're going to encounter this, and at mile three, we're here, and at 10, we're here, and then finally we get to the top type thing. And if we navigate you through that terrain, you're, you, you're able to manage expectations. And then when I tell you, hey, Alex, before you walk out, man, it's going to feel very, it's going to feel even quieter than sparring in the gym. And it's going to, you know, there's going to be this weird silence and it's going to be a little odd. Uh, it, it, so if we navigate that terrain with them before we get there, because of our experience, it's, it's paid dividends because the, the fighters have been able to at least mentally see it and it's not this big surprise where you think you're at the top of the mountain and you're not and you're like oh shit and you keep hitting these false summits and then you get these weird things that happen internally and so you know that's that that part of it is just taking again some some foresight from myself and the coaching staff and then relaying that to the athletes and then also just from experience knowing you know, if we're able to help navigate these guys mentally, physically, they're they're going to be on point. And I'm sure hearing the other coaches calling out their instructions, the human chess game differs a little bit because now you can hear what they're saying. You hear what the announcers are saying, too. How has that uh, evolved your coaching right there on the sidelines, too, uh, outside of just giving your fighter their instructions? Well, the announcers, I just block out. So, they're you know, they... Not that I don't hear them, but for the most part, they're calling the fight. Now, right. um, the the other coaches, now that's something that for sure we will stay in tune for. So if they're just speaking regular, you know, type combinations or, or takedown or whatever stuff on the ground, then we could key into that. So we, we've, we've made an absolute effort to be able to pick that up if possible. Um, but that's not our that's not our number one goal. Our number one goal is to stay on our track and and communicate with our athlete and and then have that back and forth. Uh, when Kraus fought actually in Abu Dhabi, he actually yelled back to me, "What did you say?" And yep. uh, but he and I have been working for a long many years together, so 
we have that kind of synergy. And he was like, I think he said, say that again type thing. And I was like, and so I repeated it to him. And, and so we have that synergy and he has that comfort. And, and I think the other thing is in the room, you know, when we're training at factory X, just that high intensity, that high feel of, you know, you can't treat, I always try to preach these guys. You can't treat sparring day and fighting day different than you treat Monday. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't spar on Mondays, you know. So um, it's got to be the same attitude. And and like Alex was talking about, one of the things I noticed about him is he just didn't seem like he's having a lot of fun fighting. And he and I talked about that a lot. I, you know, I said, man, you need to have some fun. Like this shit's way too hard to have so much pressure and like ah like this this uh this feeling you know and so and i could say that to him but it doesn't matter if he doesn't adopt it and of course he did and so uh but i think the the COVID thing's been great for us i mean as a team we've been killing it and so and and we'll adapt again i mean that's that's why we've been successful uh, for as long as we have is whatever changes that happen here at, at the beginning of the year or the first or second quarter of next year whatever We'll, we'll adapt again, and we'll make sure we're on the cutting edge, and we'll make sure that we're successful. Now, Alex, I know there's been some fighters that said they kind of prefer the no fans in attendance so they can hear their coaches, or even I think one of the fighters said they could hear DC, like oh, calling yeah. in, yeah. Um, and it kind of helped them in a way. But for you, what do you prefer? Like, do you miss having fans? You know, that last experience was so... I mean, it was just, the whole thing was so beautiful, and, like, I really like the Apex, uh, just the aura of it. You know, it's kind of an intimate setting. It's almost, like, more incandescent lighting than, like, the the bright, um, like, LED kind of lighting, you know, like in the hospital or school or something. And so I, I really like the the groove there, and and then, like Coach was saying, you know, being able to respond to the language, which I'm not on that crowd status where I'm, like, like you know, I'm, I'm, I'm that keyed in. I'm still, I'm still working, you know, one thing at a time, but um, I really enjoy it, but also... You know, you, you miss the fans, and like I'm really excited to kind of be making these changes during this period, so that way, whenever the fans are there, I'm ready for them. Because really, I don't, I don't know if I was ready for the fans before. You know, I, I think I let them play a lot into uh, the the angst I already had, or if not angst, just the adrenaline that I was dumping. You know, like I, I think I think I let them play into that too much. So this has kind of been like a really beautiful transition period where it's like. We're getting work done, but we're almost getting it done in the shadows. And then, I mean, hell, we have more viewership than ever. But, but you know what I mean? Like, getting it done almost privately. And then, and then when the fans come back, I'll be ready to command the fans instead of the fans command me. I'm going to turn my super fan on because I know we got uh, you guys got to get over to the PI and train a little bit. But something that's intriguing me, and it's not really discussed, uh, we talk about the GOAT. We talk about all these different things. John Jones moving up to heavyweight. Adesanya mm. going up to 205 against Bahovich. What the heck's going to happen? Who is John Jones going to fight? Because I think Francis Ngannou is first in line to be fighting Stipe Miocic for the heavyweight title. What what makes sense for John Jones? Who's he going to fight? And is Jan's fighting Izzy at two hundred five? Like it just leaves a lot of question marks. Especially if we want to work our way to, towards having a super fight of Israel and John Jones pending. Uh, Israel takes care of business against uh, John uh, Jan Blahovich and John Jones has a fight, doesn't have a fight. What's your weighing on well, I that? I think if you're John Jones, you don't do any other fight than a title fight. So right. um, what's the point of of going up to heavyweight if you're not fighting Stipe? And, or if they're going to have Nganu fight Stipe first, 
you know, does, I don't think that makes that much sense. I think uh, again, I'm not I'm not the matchmakers, and they do a phenomenal job. But from my perspective, as a coach and a fan, is uh, John Jones and Stipe, if he's going up, if that's really what he's doing, because he relinquished the 205 belt, right. then that should be the fight. Over Francis first? Hands down. I think so, for yeah, sure. Okay. I mean, who's who's beat John Jones? Right. And that, I, yeah. I do believe he, he is the GOAT. Uh, something uh, uh, a coach from San Antonio, J- Jason, said, um, Jones is the only guy who's beaten almost like three generations, generations. yeah, of, of, of top combatants or, or even champions, you know, and no, nobody else has done that. So for a guy who's completely undefeated, I mean, he's got that one, you know, if he lost. Yeah, right. As, as far as we're concerned. It's a win. Yeah, yeah, it's a win. Yeah. It's destruction. And then, and then to go up to heavyweight, it only makes sense for him to get that super fight, and especially when you look at, like, the history of people making similar moves, far less qualified or even just slightly less than, than what Jones is. There's no reason why he wouldn't, and Stipe is by far the most. That that fight excites me so much more than Francis Ngannou versus Stipe or Francis Ngannou versus Jones. Jones versus Stipe is a, a thrilling idea. And I think uh, I think having the perspective of having to game plan and train for John Jones, you know, when Anthony Smith fought him. Yep. Uh, one of the most daunting tasks I've ever had as a coach is is looking at John Jones. He's That's crazy. He's a fighter nobody wants to fight. He's very unpredictable, and he's got amazing technique. His IQ is high. He trusts his coaches. He's got the. He, you could say whatever you want about him off the mat. Uh, you know, everyone has their opinion there. But in the cage, in the octagon, uh, he, he's one of the best I've ever seen do it. Not only from a TV screen, but live. Uh, when I've seen him fight other fights, but also when I was coaching against him, he's he's a phenomenal. Uh, one of the best ever, for sure, if not the best, uh, in in that we've ever seen in that octagon. And so, to and and I know Stipe really well. I was actually uh, his his coach for the Ultimate Fighter. I was Stipe's coach on the Ultimate Fighter show when he and DC were on there. And I know Stipe really well. And Stipe is a phenomenal athlete and such an amazing dude. Obviously, he's beat everyone that's come his way. And and the never long, said no to to no, any fight presented. No. And he's amazing. And so to know both of those guys as, as intimately as I do, um, that fight is what uh, I think not only should happen, but it's what the fans want to see. And as far as Ad- Adesanya goes, why wouldn't he go up to 205? Um, yeah. he, he's How many people want to go win multiple belts? They, they all want to do it. You just have to prove that you're – You've earned the right to even have be in that discussion, and and Adesanya's done that, and yep. he's who's going to question whether or not. Now, the the question I have though for Adesanya is because at two oh five, there's a big jump. I've I've done it with with Anthony, um, power wise, body wise, that the whole thing. Adesanya is an amazing fighter, but. Is that jump to two oh five? Is that is that too much? And is the is the overwhelming is the power too overwhelming there? Or is the that that size body on top of you or against the cage on you? It does that stifle what Adesanya is so great at. 
So because of those questions, you want to see him fight at 205. You're like, okay, man, let's see you do it. And Jan is, is, a, is a big 205-er, by the way. Yeah, he's, a, he's, yeah. a, he's a thick biscuit for sure. And as like a less critical thinking coach, I'm just, I, I'd be so stoked for that. And I got out of Sonia too. I like, I like um, Yakovich a lot. But, um, but I, I think if Adesanya feels that weight out, he's taking that strap home too. If Adesanya and Jones fought today at 205, who, who, do you, who would you oh, take? Johnny on? all day. I got okay. John Jones, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Jo- You're saying He's John Jones versus Adesanya? At 205 today, if they fall. I'd take Jones. Yeah. Take Jones. Yeah. Jones is... He's built for the weight. Yeah. On the note of Lionheart Smith, man, I, I've when I proposed the one sixty five pound weight division, I'm thinking increments of ten. Make a welterweight one seventy seventy five. If ever there was a perfect guy for a hundred ninety five pound weight division, Same. I think that's Lionheart oh, yeah. Smith. Agree. Oh, yeah. Agree. I I wish that uh, there's always talks about you know different weight classes. I'm not saying boxing has it down, but uh, there's too many gaps between some of these these weight classes, especially between 55 and 70, 70 and 85, 85, 205. There's too many gaps. And you have, like, Krause is a tweener too, by the way. Yeah. He's, you know, fighting at 70, he's he's absolutely tall enough to be there. But some of those guys are obviously thicker than him. And so he, you know, he was killing himself to get to 55. It was miserable. And it wasn't the cut. It was four or five weeks out. And so you weren't getting the athlete you're seeing in there now because he wasn't having any fun training. He was, he, was, he was just making weight and being like, man, this isn't even that fun. You know, and so uh, the, the 10-pound gap or, or something there I think, would, I think would improve the sport. And if you think about that, you'd get more super bites too. Yes, yeah. you would. The only thing that gets difficult is the lineage behind the belts, right? Yeah. Like when you start going to the history of the champs and things like that, that's the only part that gets a little... Like, what do you call a welterweight champ, you know, or just the history of that belt? Well, the sport's so young. You know, we're, what, 27 years in? You can yeah. always make the history on the fly. Yeah, that's fair. I agree. I mean, the NFL did it, right? They they had the AFL. Yep. And and then they, they combined it to be essentially uh, the AFC-NFC to the NFL. Hey, if we were counting championships, my Chicago Bears would be the best team in NFL history. There you go. One of them right <laughs> there. there. You go. Before the before the Super Bowl era, exactly. Yeah. And and listen, you want to you want to absolutely pay homage to the entire, um, you know, past and and all the champions and all that thing. So I'm not trying to discredit that because the, those people paved the way. They were the trailblazers for this, and they should be held in the highest regard. But present day, I mean. Can we not get some new gloves and can we not get some uh, uh, different weight classes? That that would be amazing. That I think that would change the sport. You know, Dana's posting uh, those uh, Instagram videos with those gloves. I think something's triggered in the back of his mind where he's he's thinking about new gloves with the UFC gloves, you know? I, it's definitely coming, I, I right? I think it's coming. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's coming. I think I think that's key. I mean, it, it, it it's going to help everybody. And... And then you're gonna see you're gonna see where that goes, and then we're gonna have to evolve and and get better from there as well. So, uh, and that's why we're sitting here. I mean, the, this sport has evolved so much to where it's given a platform to all of us to do what we what we love to do. Um, but without that, we wouldn't be here. And so let's do it now, so we can keep doing this thing. And Dana's been proven to be 
the uh, the front runner of fuck yourself. I'm going to figure out a way to make my company continue to grow, and, and I don't give a shit what's going on. And I love that. Yeah, hasn't laid off anybody in continuously putting on events week in and week out, whether you're in the United States or in Abu Dhabi. What other sports organizations done that? They haven't. They haven't. No. Yeah. Haven't. Well, well, guys, you need to go train. Final thoughts of the Schmozo, and you want to leave the audience open for them. Uh, you know, we're just looking forward to December. And again, as far as that docket goes, I'm not concerned with any single individual. I'm just, I'm, I'm in the right place. It feels like at the right time, and I, I have no fears or qualms about it. You know, you know, I'm not scared to lose. I'm, I'm not really feel like I'm in a place. I'm not scared of anything right now. I'm exactly where I need to be. And so, whoever that opponent is. Uh, in December, I look forward to it. It'll be an excellent matchup. And the, it's the 19th is the date you're targeting? Oh, yeah, I'm just going to keep manifesting it until it comes <laughs> to fruition. Yeah, yeah. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, I just want to thank you guys for having us on. Uh, I'm super proud of you guys. It's, uh, it's a pleasure watching someone that hustles their ass off like you've done and both you guys have done yeah. and, the, and the team uh, work that you guys have done. I've been married uh, for 20 years and been with my wife for 22, so I respect the hell out of that. I, I understand how hard that is to do and you guys have you guys have uh showed that with hard work perseverance and a little bit of craziness you're you're able to do it and so super proud of you man and both you guys you guys have done an amazing job so keep it up and and thank you for having us on and uh anytime you want to talk yeah. a little more smack we're we're yeah, always let us available know, man again first first full studio experience so this has been awesome thank you they need to come back on maybe December 19th out. Yeah. The we week could, when you get back we for that We can figure something out. We'll yeah. have you guys on yeah. again. Yeah. Uh, now we're just a duet. Now it's just all right. Like, <laughs> Mark and Alex. Yes. I'm the big spoon because he does have a real little spoon. Ask him about uh, it next no, time. No, that's not next ask him about it next time. No, don't close I can ask him about it next time. Little spoon. That's how you're ending it. And I wouldn't be here weren't for her support continuously. She's the best. Uh, big spoon, little spoon, fun stuff. Okay, you can uh, be the big spoon. He's the big spoon. With with Professor Busy. Five week big spoon. With Professor Busy, you could be the big spoon. Yeah, okay. With Brandon, I'm definitely the big spoon. <laughs> My, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Episode 43 of the Schmo Zone podcast. We are out. Yeah.